Yé Mounla, you're listening to Kao Karaman EV, Kao Karaman, the English version. Kao Karaman is a podcast about the representation of the Caribbean in cinema and television. I'm your host, Patra M, and get ready to celebrate Caribbean culture with me. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 10, part 3, the final part of this episode. Before we start, I want to give a quick shout out to the Cutlass podcast. It's, and I quote, a progressive podcast and platform dedicated to the Indo-Caribbean community and descendants of Indian indenture. The host, Vinay, explores the diversity and complexity behind the word Indo-Caribbean. When I released my French episode for Green Days by the River, the podcast wasn't available yet, but the insight it gave me afterwards helped me with episode 11. So go listen to the Gutlass podcast. And I also want to give a shout out to Tiara Jade Chutkan, who put together an anthology called Two Times Removed. I read it during the hashtag Read Caribbean Month. This anthology is a collection of contemporary short stories centered around Indo-Caribbean women. I'll put every link in the box description. In this episode, I will talk about the Indo-Guadalupean community from my outsider's perspective. So it was important to me to mention people who create media to talk about Indo-Caribbean representation. On to the episode. Green Days by the River is a film from Trinidad and Tobago. It was directed by Michael Mulida and it was released in 2017. It received the Public Choice Award and the Best Film Award at the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival in 2017. It also won the Carmichael Award for Outstanding Storytelling at the Barbados Independent Film Festival. It's an adaptation of the novel Green Days by the River, written by Michael Anthony and released in 1967. You can stream the film on Vimeo and on storyplay.tv. Here's the summary on the Vimeo page. Set in 1952, the story centers on the 15-year-old boy Shelley, whose poor but closely knit family has recently relocated to a village in the Mayara region of Trinidad with his father seriously ill. Shelley acquires a surrogate father figure in the wealthy plantation owner, Mr. Gideri, and he finds himself torn between Gideri's seductive half-Indian daughter, Rosalie, and the more down-to-earth charms of out-of-town girl, Joan. But does Shelley really have a choice, or has a trap been laid for him from the very beginning? In the first Caribbean Connection, I talked about the rites of passage to adulthood when you are a 15-year-old boy from the countryside in Trinidad in the early 50s. When you become a man, you dress differently, you play differently, you get a job, and you might even fall in love. In Green Days by the River, it's not just about showing a love triangle with Shelley stuck between Rosalie and Joan. To me, this love triangle is a parable explaining the power dynamics that came along with indentorship in Caribbean societies. What are the social, cultural and economic dynamics between the black community and the Indian community that are represented in Green Days by the River? 
It's time for the second Caribbean connection. The Caribbean connection segment is to discuss how a film makes me reflect on my identity as a black woman, as an Afro-Caribbean woman, as a Guadeloupean woman, and as a French woman. Disclaimer, yes, another one. I might spoil you the ending. I will try my best not to, but I have to talk about what leads Shelley to make his final decision. So if you don't want to hear it, stop the episode, go watch the film and come back. If you're ready to listen to the ending, let's go. So Shelley is torn apart between seductive Rosalie and sweet Joan. I'm using the word seductive on purpose because of the first sequence of the film, which was not in the book. Shelley hides in the forest and watches Rosalie swim in the river. I find this sequence significant of the way the film interpreted Rosalie. You can either see her as the temptress or just as an object of desire. The temptress may present Rosalie in a negative light, but at least she has agency in a way that the book doesn't give her at all. Just in general, the film really gave life to Rosalie. In the book, the characters only talk about her physical appearance, but in reality, we don't know her independently of what others think, of what others say or think of her. Her seduction power seems to be based only on her looks. She has light skin. Maybe you'd say she's brown skin, but at least she's not dark skinned. That's for sure. She has long straight hair. But implicitly, her seduction power is based on her social status because she comes from a family of landowners. Her uncle has a cocoa farm where Shelley gets a job. Her father, Mr. Gideri, grows root crops and fruits in Cedar Grove where he takes Shelley, gets supplies on a regular basis. And Mr. Gideri always tells Shelley that he believes in the land. To him, power comes from the land. So the Gideri family owns land, whereas Shelley's family owns literally nothing. With the father being sick, the whole family lives on the mother's salary and afterwards with the small contribution of Shelley's salary. Yet, Shelley's father still makes school education a priority. He gets upset when he hears that his son dropped out to work at the farm. In order to convince Shelley to go back to school, he argues that an ambitious girl like Joan, who will pursue a higher education before getting married, would probably not want a man who has no education like Shelley. It's a very contemporary perspective and you already find it in the book. The dad is my favorite character right after Joan. <laughs> Speaking of Joan, her character is a positive representation for black girls. We see that she's a well-rounded girl who has values, principles, and lets no one get in her way to achieve her goals. We get a glimpse of her family life in the novel, but Joan's family is totally absent from the film. And this is no big deal per se, because... Her character is so well-defined that you easily figure out the kind of family she's from. So when you look at these three characters and their families, you have a picture of 
Caribbean societies. On one side, there's the black community. There's a middle class that uses school as a mandatory step to climb the social ladder. That's Joan and her family. And there's a working class that has no resources. That's Shelley and his family. Culturally, Joan embodies this vision of the independent black woman. Shelley has a more traditional and narrowed perspective on life. On the other side, there's the Indian community that has built its economic power through the land, but has no recognition. I mean, no social recognition, no prestige, and little interest in education. I think the film does a great job at showing in a modern way, the stigmatization and the vocabulary used reflects this complex relationship between each community. In the official synopsis, Rosalie is described as half Indian. If you want to be politically correct, you would say biracial today, but usually you would say she is described as mixed race. Except that this does not indicate what the other half of the mixed race is in the novel and in the film she's always referred to as the Dougla girl. In comparison Joan who is black is just a girl. There is no certainty about the origin of the term Dougla but it's used to refer to someone who has an Indian parent and a black parent. There are some famous celebrities like like Foxy Brown, Nicki Minaj, um, actress Tatiana Ali from The Fresh Prince who are called quote-unquote Dougla. But I understand it's a derogatory term symbolizing the hostility toward the Indian community. The Indian community in the Caribbean was established between the mid-19th century up to the early 20th century. One slaverism, and if you wonder why I say slaverism and not slavery, I'd suggest you listen to my first special edition about representation of slavery in French cinema and television. So once slaverism imploded, European colonizers still needed people to work in the sugarcane fields. France and England launched indentorship, which differed from slavery because technically there was a contract for a fixed period of time, usually five years, and the person had a small salary in exchange for being exploited. There were three main waves of indentorship in the Caribbean. The African indentorship, France brought in about 18,000 black people from Congo to work in the colonies. That's why there are some Guadeloupian people who have a true African last name and who can trace back their ancestry. There was the Chinese indentorship, but it wasn't a big quote-unquote success. Usually when people talk about indentorship in the Caribbean, they talk about the Indian indentorship. The first Indian workers arrived in Martinique in 1853 and in Guadeloupe in 1854. France and England even made an agreement to regulate this Indian immigration in 1861. That was actually a way for the British Empire to control and to make France slow down on the Indian immigration because France had been organizing the Indian migration to Reunion Island since the 1830s with no authorization from the British Empire. So this indentorship is mostly the reason why there's an Indian community in Guadeloupe, Martinique, Trinidad and Tobago, Guyana, Jamaica, Grenada, St. Lucia, 
St. Vincent, St. Kiss, St. Croix, or Suriname. The working conditions were horrible. Many people died, and in the case of Guadeloupe, the birth rate didn't compensate. Here I quote French historian Christian Schnackenbourg in his 2005 dissertation, L'immigration indienne en Guadeloupe de 1848 à 1923, which means Indian immigration in Guadeloupe from 1848 to 1923. From 1854 to 1906, date of the departure of the last repatriation convoy to India, 42,900 Indians arrived in Guadeloupe and about 10,500 were born there. On the other hand, only 9,700 were repatriated and 13,300 are still present on the island. The difference, which means about 30,000 and 400 people is the equivalent of the many deaths. In the early 1950s, the Indian community in Guadeloupe was about 15,000 people, and their geographic distribution on the territory is explained by the geographic distribution of farms. 15,000 people was about 7% of the population at the time. For Trinidad and Tobago, Indian immigration lasted from what I know, 1845 to 1917, and it represented about 145,000 people. And in the early 1950s, the Indian population was about 195,000 people. So that was about 35% of the population. And up until today, this percentage has remained rather stable because the Indian community is like 37% of the population in the 2011 census. On the other hand, the percentage of Afro-Trinidadians decreased. The Afro-Trinidadian community represented about 46% of the population in the early 1950s and Today, it's around 36%. Again, correct me if I'm wrong about the numbers, but I think it's due to the fact that you had more interracial marriages and it's complicated after a while to segment the population according to just one race. In Guadeloupe today, the total population is around 395,000 of people without counting the diaspora. The number of Indian people can vary from 25,000 to 50,000 people, depending if you count the biracial people or not, but it's kind of like the Indian community is still around like 10, maybe up to 15% of the population. So you see, the situation of the Indian community in Guadeloupe has nothing to do with the situation of the Indian community in Trinidad and Tobago. We share the same history, but with different trajectories. And I think the best cultural example in the film is when Shelley's parents speak in Creole, 
and their Creole is very similar to the Guadeloupian Creole. But Mr. Guidari doesn't speak Creole. In Guadeloupe, Creole was stigmatized for decades. It was seen as the language spoken by people living in the countryside, people who weren't sophisticated. So you expect them to speak Creole. And at some point, it became a way to belittle Indian people because they spoke Creole before they spoke French. When they first arrived in the colonies, they were at the bottom of the social ladder. The main recruitment agencies were in Pondicherry, in the southeast of India, and in Calcutta, in the northeast of India. So these Indian immigrants already had cultural, linguistic, and religious differences before they left India. Once they arrived in the colonies, they found themselves in foreign territories. So they didn't speak the language, they didn't know the culture, they, they didn't know the food, they dressed differently. So they became the ideal scapegoats to explain the low wages that the white farmers implemented and that former enslaved people refused. So there was a clear hostility towards the Indian community. I don't know for the English-speaking countries, but in Guadeloupe, we still use pejorative vocabulary to refer to Indian people to this day. It's a vocabulary that I learned when I came back to Guadeloupe, when I came back to live in Guadeloupe in the middle, in the 90s. But until this day, I'm still unable to tell you what these terms exactly means and and you wonder why, but that's because it's the kind of words that you use in daily discussion, but you don't dare to ask for an explanation because you know they are bad words and you don't want your Guadeloupian card be taken away. But at that time, I thought by observing who was called these words would help me to understand, but I really don't know. Of all the words I know to call an Indian person, the one that is common with the English-speaking islands is the term coulis, which is also a pejorative term in French too. As time went by, the communities came together and biracial people with a black parent and an Indian parent were born. In Creole, I know two words, Batazandien and Chapicouli. Batazandien comes from the association between bastard and Indian. See, I, I, I don't get why we still use that word. And then you have Chapicouli, so it's not an insult. It's usually used in a positive way because it means, I think, it means that you have dark skin, but you have straight, silky hair. So you're saved. That's what shapi means. You're saved, but you're saved from what? I guess you're saved from your blackness. I just don't know. But it's it, it just sounds wrong. And this ongoing debate on how to call Afro-Caribbean people and Indo-Caribbean people is present from chapter one in Green Days by the River. And it's also the first discussion in the film. It's the sequence with Shelley and Mr. Guidari. Shelley refers to Rosalie as the Dougla girl. Mr. Guidari doesn't openly take offense, but in the subtitles of the film, it's written mixed instead of Dougla. Mr. Guidari says that Rosalie's mother is Creole like Shelley. He says the word Creole both in the novel and in the film. However, the subtitles in the film say black instead of Creole. Then there's a discussion between Shelley and his father. In the novel, 
The father describes Rosalie as Indian Creole. And Shelley then retorts, you mean Indian Negro. The first meaning of the word Creole was someone who was born on the island. It was used to make the difference between people from Europe and Africa who just arrived on the island and those who were born on the island. At some point, Creole became synonymous with black people, descendants of enslaved black people. Anyway, that's how Sherry's father and Mr. Guidari use the term Creole, as for black, in the film. When the father asks if Rosalie is Indian Creole, the word Indian Creole is written in the subtitles. When Shelley replies, no, she's Indian Negro, the subtitles say Indian Negro. And then the father kind of laughs and says, I prefer the term black. That wasn't in the book. I wonder if this comment wasn't some kind of anachronism. But in any case, those who worked on the subtitles understood the issues of representation behind each word and made sure to stay up to date with the words we use right now. The word dougla was replaced by a more neutral word, mixed, which completely invisibilizes Rosalie's full origins. The word creole is replaced with black and invisibilizes African ancestry. Honestly, in France, they love the word Creole to symbolize a cultural mix. But I don't like that word. I won't get into it here. So Green Days by the River shows us some of the identity problems in Caribbean societies based on anti-blackness inherited from slaverism. Anti-blackness is the rejection of dark-skinned people from Africa without getting into any cultural, social, or economic considerations. When Mr. Guidari or Shelley's father say Creole to refer to a dark-skinned person of African descent, they don't want to use Negro because the word is seen as synonymous with slave. Now, what is the reality of the word black to define someone's origins when we are in a society when, where a person can have dark skin without having African ancestry or person can have dark skin or the person can have dark skin while being biracial. So you see, this shows how race is truly a social construct that blocks the development of an open-minded society that cares about true equality and the well-being of everybody. And let's not forget that people of different races getting married won't abolish racism. The film doesn't get into what a relationship between Shelley and Rosalie represent, but I will. You have a dark-skinned black man with no money and no economic power. You have a brown-skinned biracial woman whose money and economic power are given to her by her Indian side. And this is somehow the spoiler on an important plot twist. In the novel, Shelley's confusion about his feelings for Rosalie is really emphasized, but the film chooses to make him a victim of Rosalie and her father. If Shelley chooses to be with Rosalie, he will gain financial and economic power. 
The film is clear about that. However, the film doesn't say what Rosalie and Mr. Guidari will gain if she gets with a sweet yet uneducated and penniless boy. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but if they get married, the Guidari name will disappear and the grandchildren will no longer be seen as quote-unquote Dougla. Guidari's grandchildren might leave their Indian culture at home, but in the public outside of home, they might claim economic power through land and they'll be able to claim a high social status as full members of the Trinidadian society with their African ancestry through Shelley. So... I mean, that's my theory. I don't know if I'm right. Let me know. Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk about it. Just as Stephen Bristol's See You Yesterday made me question the use of the word Afro-Caribbean, Green Days by the River made me think about the word Indo-Caribbean. It reminded me once again of the richness of Guadeloupian history with its different cultural contributions. This is the hill Gilbert Ponamon was willing to die on. We owe him the concept of Creole Indianity as seen by the creation of the newspaper Soleil Indian, Indian Sun, in 1974 in Martinique. I don't know about French Guyana because the Indian community over there is much bigger than in Guadeloupe, so I think the dynamics might be different. Just in general, I think it's important for a multicultural society to know the history of each community and their contribution to build up the society. It is necessary to discuss their problems, to listen and to think together about solutions. In Guadeloupe, the Indian community fought to be recognized by the French government. Henri Sidambarom was the leader in this fight to obtain French citizenship and it finally paid off in 19. 23. So basically, Indo-Guadeloupian people have been officially French for less than a century, but they've been there for much more longer than that. Having citizenship also means the right to participate in political activities and to literally try to change society. The question is, when we say Guadeloupian or Martinican or Trinidadian, do we include people of Indian origin? When non-Guadeloupian people say Guadeloupian or West Indian, do these people think of the Indo-Caribbean community also? When do we stop using derogatory terms to call each other and describe our reality without perpetuating anti-blackness? It's about who gets to feel at home, who gets to claim the island as home? Do we see the Indo-Caribbean community represented in literature, in films? And more importantly, how are they represented? Telling the story of the Caribbean is also telling the story of other peoples deported to serve a specific economic system. And this is another reason why I make a distinction between Black and Afro-Caribbean when I define myself, because people confuse black for West Indian and this is why I never use the word Creole to define myself either. I had a classmate of Indian origin in high school. Well, not just in high school, of course, and even some of my close family members are of Indian origin. This classmate would wear her bindi from time to time. She told us about certain ceremonies. 
She practiced traditional dancing and I never had the impression that she lived her Indo-Guadalupian identity as a conflict, perhaps because her parents cultivated the Indian side of her Guadalupian identity. From my outsider's perspective, I wonder if she doesn't embody this coolitude conceptualized by Mauritian poet and filmmaker Cal Torabuli in the um, 90s. Coolitude is the awareness of your Indian origins. It's the awareness of being the product of a migration. It's the awareness of being the product of a hybrid culture and to have your roots somewhere else than in your motherland. It's the awareness of being alive while keeping your eyes turned toward a hopeful future. Okay, so that was a long episode. <laughs> But I just had a lot to say because it's to me it's very important. I didn't know when I started the podcast that I would think about such things but I'm glad I I got to do it so I let me know what you think of it if you think I'm wrong tell me I'm wrong <laughs> I'm okay with that I'm just here to learn like anybody else thank you for listening make sure to subscribe to my newsletter for more Caribbean films books and music reviews check out my website carcaramon.com you can follow me on twitter instagram and facebook at carcaramon If you want the podcast to get more visibility, you can give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Let me know if you enjoyed this episode. See you à dans le soleil. Ciao, bye.